The table of light spread before us this morning reminds us that we have entered the season of epiphany, the season when we celebrate the revealing of God's light and love and life in Jesus Christ. The word epiphany comes from the Greek word meaning the appearing, the, the revealing, the showing. In Eastern Christian traditions, the gospel reading for Epiphany is the baptism of Jesus, and special attention is given to the voice from heaven that reveals Jesus as God's Son. In Western Christian traditions, we focus on the visit of the Magi who follow the star to the new king revealed to them in Bethlehem. And it's to that story that we turn this morning. The music and the scripture reading and our children have already helped us enter into the story. And now as we delve into it further, I invite you to hold the epiphany question in mind. It's what I call the epiphany question. What is being revealed? The first characters we encounter in the story are the wise ones from the East. They are magi, priestly sages, likely from Persia, who are experts in astrology and the interpretation of dreams. As we meet them, we see that they're not only keen observers of the heavens, they are also deep listeners for what those signs are pointing to. What do they mean? In these wise ones, here's the epiphany question, what is being revealed? What do you see? I see a quest for meaning that keeps them alert and attentive to the signs around them. I see a hope-filled longing that compels them to follow a star for miles and miles and miles in search of the baby born King of the Jews. In these magi, we see wise ones waiting and watching and committed to seeking after the light. What is not revealed is how they traveled. Tradition holds that they traveled to see Jesus on camels, likely because of the text from Isaiah that Lois read for us. The story for Matthew itself doesn't tell us, but as you can see on the bulletin cover, Pastor Renee and two other wise women decided to give it a try on their trip to the Middle East. The second main character we encounter in the story is King Herod the Great, who ruled Palestine as a vassal of Rome from 37 BC until his death in 4 BC. He was acclaimed by some for his massive building projects, including Caesarea and the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. He was also 
feared and despised for his ruthless treatment of rivals. It so happens that the Magi break their journey in Jerusalem to confer with him. After all, they're looking for a baby born king to the Jewish people, so it makes sense that they would find him somewhere in this royal city. However, this seems strange to me, as wise as they are, it doesn't seem to occur to them that it, it might just be problematic to ask the current king about the birth of a new and potentially rival king. King Herod's response is predictable for those who know him. He responds with fear, great fear. And get this, all Jerusalem with him. I guess people knew that when kings like Herod get frightened, nothing good happens. Herod acts immediately to eliminate the threat. With the help of his advisors, Herod figures out how to use the wise ones to do his reconnaissance work. He will let them find the baby so that then he can destroy the new king. At this alarming turn in the story, let's ask again, what is being revealed? What do you see? I see Herod's addiction to power. His deep insecurity about losing it. Or perhaps what's going on for him is simply the recognition of the truth for what it is. The Messiah that these magi seek is a threat to imperial powers that claim ultimate authority. In the end, the Magi set off on their journey once again, this time guided by the instructions of Herod's advisors. Having consulted their own scriptures, Hebrew scriptures, the advisors point the Magi in the direction of Bethlehem. From Bethlehem, the prophet Micah tells them, shall come a ruler understood to be the Messiah who will shepherd Israel. As we follow the Magi to Bethlehem, we meet the third main character in the story, the baby, Jesus. In this narrative, the child says and does nothing. Yet he is the chief protagonist. He is the still point around which the entire plot line revolves. Who is this child? There is no doubt in the hearts of the minds of the Magi. He is the king for whom they have been waiting and watching and searching. And finally, in his presence, they are overwhelmed with joy and they bow down to worship him. And then they offer him gifts, gifts fit for a king. But what exactly is the nature of his kingship? 
What does this encounter reveal? What do you see? This is what I see. I notice that he is not privileged by royal status or wealth or power. I see that he's been born into humble circumstances, into a carpenter's family, among ordinary people struggling to eke out an existence under the weight of Roman occupation. And I see that his role is to be very different than the role inhabited by King Herod. It seems that King Jesus is not called to be a tyrant. In the words of the prophet Micah heard earlier, he is called to be a shepherd, a ruler who will tend, protect, guide, and nurture his people. Let's also note to whom King Jesus' birth is first revealed. Surely this must say something about the kind of king he will be. We remember that in Luke's gospel, Jesus' birth is announced to lowly Palestinian shepherds. And here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' birth is revealed to Gentiles from a foreign country. In both cases, revelation comes to groups of outsiders. We also see that the God revealed in Jesus has been at work in the lives of these Gentile foreigners long before they ever got to Bethlehem, in the longing in their hearts that kept them waiting and watching in the appearance of a star to guide them, in a text from Micah that leads them to Bethlehem, in a dream that leads them home by another way. In this revealing, we see a God who is working to gather all people, including perceived outsiders, into the reign of God's love. Two things strike me as I reflect on this story. First, an awful lot has been revealed in this brief story. And second, the story does not only appear in the Bible, it's not confined to the Bible we see it repeating itself over and over again here among us. There are still tyrant leaders throughout the world who are willing to inflict great violence in order to preserve their power. This is happening as we speak and leaders in our own country are not exempt. In the meantime, in the midst of what feels like the deep darkness of our times, many of us are seeking light, we're seeking hope, 
We are seeking an alternative path. But sometimes it seems so difficult to find the way. We are inundated, we are saturated by loud voices around us, claiming truth, creating fear, drawing us toward reactivity rather than principled response. Sometimes the noise is so loud and conflicting that we cannot think clearly. Friends, when the noise around us drowns out our sense of direction, it's time to get quiet. It's time to turn off the TV or perhaps disengage from social media, at least for a season. We need to get quiet so that we can listen to what the Quaker tradition calls the light within. And not just the light within ourselves as individuals, but the light within us as a community. Together, we need to gather around the light of Christ. As we gather around that light, what do we see? What is being revealed? What do you see? I see that in Jesus, we see a God who enters the nitty-gritty of life into the joys and the sufferings of the human condition, into the dilemmas of our lives and the confusion of our world. In Jesus, I see a God making a way through it by gathering in those on the margins, by courageously speaking truth, by working to bring healing and hope, by actively resisting evil with goodness. This is the Jesus around whom we gather, the one in whom we find light, and the one whose light shows us the way. And I believe we see the way most clearly when we travel together, as the wise ones did. When we listen to each other about what we are seeing along the way. Depending on our place in the world, depending on our life experience, depending on the power we hold, we can expect to see different things. And this is a gift, because we can help each other see what we can't see on our own. And we particularly need to seek out the voices of those who have been too often disregarded. For example, people from non-dominant racial ethnic groups, 
folks who identify as LGBTQ, victims and survivors of trauma. Because seeing with each other is what helps the light shine in. Seeking the light together is not easy work. In an impatient world, it asks us to pause and to listen. In a world that values individualism, it asks us to be together in our listening. In a world where much is frightening, it sometimes leads us to places we fear to go. Because while the light of Christ is a source of comfort and strength for many, its power to illumine sometimes elicits fear, as it did for King Herod. Fear, because at times the light reveals uncomfortable truths that pose a threat to those who have the most to lose. Sometimes this revealing brings great resistance. Even the unleashing of terror has happened in the case of Herod. And we also know that the light of God revealed in Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. A light that nothing can or will ever overcome. For me, this is one of the most powerful affirmations of faith. One that I breathe in and out of my being especially during difficult times when it is hard to see the way ahead. The light shines in the darkness, and nothing can put it out. My prayer for us all is that we will seek this light together that we will welcome it into our lives, that we will follow where it leads. In the meantime, I invite us to pause and simply bask in the light as represented by this brightly lit communion table. And I invite you to turn your attention here as we soak in the words of this poem by Jan Richardson. Where the light begins. Perhaps it does not begin. Perhaps it always was. Perhaps it takes a lifetime to open our eyes to learn to see what has forever shimmered in front of us. The luminous line of the map in the dark. 
the vigil flame in the house of the heart. The love so searing we cannot keep from singing, from crying out in testimony and praise. Perhaps this day will be the mountain over which the dawn breaks. Perhaps we will turn our face toward it, toward what has been always. Perhaps our eyes will finally open in ancient recognition, willingly dazzled, illuminated at last. Perhaps this day the light begins in us. May it be so.